0: So John 6, we're going to start in verse 16, We're going to be reading down to the end of 21. Um, for those of you who um, are new this week, or who have um, kind of been away for a few weeks and just uh, get back into it, or for those of you who still to remember what happened a week ago, um, we are currently in a series looking at miracles. So looking at the miracles that Jesus uh, did, to so when he's live, we're looking at we're doing six weeks uh, on this, and the goal of this series is to help us uh, do two things. So, help us to see the person of Jesus and help us to give some thought to how do we understand miracles, how do we think about miracles, both miracles we read about in the past and also miracles today. So, that's really the goal of, of this series. And, and so, last week we were looking at the verses just before this about Jesus 3500. 5,000. This week we are looking at Jesus walking on the water. So, let me read John 6, verse 16 down to 21. When evening came, his, that's Jesus, disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set up across the lake for Capernaum. But out it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew up. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. I want to start this week by talking about fear. What, what What is it that you are afraid of? What what you're afraid of in your life? Uh, it is true that many of us have slightly silly, slightly rational fears of, of some sort. I remember um, one time um, we were going on holiday as a family. Uh, and I don't know what it's like when you go on holiday as a family, but it, it's a slightly, frantic, not entirely enjoyable experience um, in our household when we're trying to get ready to go on holiday. Um, we, Sarah is constantly thinking of things that we need to take and constantly saying, do we really need this 24-piece domino set? Um, and and as, as we go back and forth about this, the car gets fuller and fuller and fuller and fuller until by the time we're setting off, we're like we're all wedged into the car, and I'm driving like this, and with the seat right in front of the like on top of the pedals, just trying to think, is this safe? I don't know. But we've got the Dominoes, and that's the important bit. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, so as uh, one time we were, we were on we were on a journey I was on this holiday, excited, bouncing, and all of a sudden. Uh, it's worth saying as well, when, we, when we're at that point, it takes me about an hour of the journey before I get out of the face and into, like, normal, pleasant human being again. Um, and so a few minutes into this journey, Sarah suddenly flings everything that's piled on her off her and screams. And I'm there thinking, what on earth has happened here? Uh, and, and inevitably, the thing that has happened is there is a spider I'm, uh, on, on the stuff. Now I think at this point I'm going to crash the car, (laughs) and I wonder if the presence of what could, at best, if I was being generous, be described as a medium-sized spider, um, whether that really warranted such a dramatic uh, exclamation and the risk of potentially crashing the car. When we when we think of fears, many of our minds go to spiders. Like that, that is that is where we go when we think of fears. Even if you're not afraid of spiders, I'm not. Afraid of spiders, and um, but that there people are, and we, we know it's a like common phobia, and so lots of us have things like that that we are afraid of. But alongside those things in life, we also have, I guess, what you would call bigger, potentially more rational fears that that plague our lives. Fears of being in a situation where we don't know how to react. That's, that's a big fear many of us face. It's the it's fear that lies behind a lot of social anxiety, you know, an unwillingness to go into places worried about, well, if I'm in that place, how am I meant to behave? How am I meant to react? It's, it's also where a lot of fear of the future comes from. That fear of, well, will I know what to do if X happens? Will I be able to cope if Y happens? Lots of us have that fear, that fear over, well, how, how will I... What about if I face a situation and I just don't know what to do in it? So, some of us have, have different fears. Some of us have, have fears of being wrong, or, or maybe more specifically, being found wanting in some area. See, so you know, that, that, that fear of being put on the spot and finding that. You can't do the thing that someone's asked you to do. I don't know about you, maybe this is just a meeting, but like that is that is a dream I have on occasion. You know, you're in an exam and you've forgotten everything you need for the exam, or you're in a work meeting and someone asks you a question and you suddenly lose the ability to speak. And um, you know, the, like these these are the kind of things that it's obviously some deep rooted fear, I'm sure I'm have a field day with it, um, about like why I dream those things. But, but that fear of being in a situation and being found out that you don't have what it takes to deal with that situation. Some of us have a, a fear of being deceived. A fear of being made to look like an idiot. You know, being conned by someone. We, we fear that, and because of that we struggle to trust. Uh, we struggle to kind of believe what people are saying to us. Some of us have a fear of what we might do. We're, we're fearful that if you put us in a certain situation, we might behave in a way that we shouldn't. We might do something that we regret. Or, or perhaps not it's not fear of what we'll do, it's fear of what someone else might do. We live in fear of certain individuals, certain people, because of what they might do in different situations. Fear of people, fear of situations, fear even of ourselves. We all know something of what it is to experience, to live with fear in our lives. And many people have observed that what lies at the heart of quite a lot of fear is that we struggle with things that we don't understand or that are unknown to us. So that fear of the unknown, fear of things we don't understand, that often lies at the heart of fear. And because of that, we become fearful when we're faced with new situations or experiences. And more than that, we, we specifically fear things we can't understand. And of course, if you think about it, there's a number of reasons why we fear that. So because things we can't understand, they are sort of definitionally unpredictable. Because we can't understand them, so we can't predict when they will or won't happen. And unpredictability creates uncertainty. Because we don't understand them, we can't predict them. And so that makes us feel on edge. Like, oh, well what if that happens and then how will I react to that? And so, so we don't like the unpredictability of things we don't understand. And similarly, we also don't like things we don't understand, because we don't know how to react to them because we don't understand them. You know when someone says something and you're like, I don't actually know what that means. <laughs> And so, therefore, I have no idea what I should now be saying. And you so, say, you know, you smile and nod, and then realize that was not what you should have be been doing. And, like, that's the problem with things we don't understand. We don't know how to react to them because we don't understand them. And so, so we're, we're afraid of those things when we don't understand them. And, of course, things we don't understand just create insecurity. Because we don't understand it, they create. Sort of existential doubt. Well, I don't understand that same thing. So maybe I've got the way I view the world wrong. Maybe I don't understand that person. Maybe I don't understand the the kind of the way the world works. And I think that's why things we don't understand often result in so much fear for so many people. That's been true throughout history, so when people look back at kind of significant moments where groups have been, um, have been afraid of other groups, often what people reflect on is there was a lack of understanding there, they didn't understand each other, they didn't understand what was going on. Now the reason I wanted to talk about fear is because fear is what sits at the heart of this miracle. Because this, this is an odd miracle, I hadn't really realised quite how odd it was when I like selected it as part of the series. Maybe if I had, I wouldn't have picked it. Um, because, the thing that's strange about it is A, it's very short, and, and, and B, I often confuse it in my mind with Jesus um, calming the storm, which is in some ways a much easier miracle to talk about. But this is not that miracle, this is a miracle where Jesus walks on water, which is a different thing, um, and a bit less clear kind of what the purpose of it was. Like what why is he walking on water? Like what why why did he bother? Like he could have done any number of things. Why did he decide that walking on water was a thing that that was worth doing? And more to the point, why did John decide that this incident of all the incidents in Jesus' life was worth putting in his gospel, in his account of Jesus' life? And I think if we don't understand that, we have to think, well, what is it that's unique about this miracle? And the thing that's unique seems to be those middle verses. Because what we're faced with here is as Jesus walks towards them on the water, we are specifically told that the disciples are frightened. So fear is what lies at the heart of this miracle. And interesting, the only words Jesus is recorded as saying here are the words, It is I, don't be afraid. That's it. And so I think John wants us to understand something about miracles and fear. In, in this in this section, that's that's what I think it's about, and so that's what I'm going to talk about: miracles and fear, because this is a miracle which has its, as its centre, at its centre, fearful disciples and Jesus telling them not to be afraid. Now, given all that I said at the start about we're often afraid of things we don't understand, it's not surprising that Jesus walking on water therefore prompts a level of fear, because it's not an, a thing that's easy to understand. Here are the disciples, they're in a a boat, the the conditions are rough, it's dark, and all of a sudden they see this man walking out on the water, on top of the water, towards them. A sight that I can imagine they had never seen before, and probably would never see again. That falls into the category, I think, of stuff which it's hard to understand. And immediately, questions would be forming in their mind. Questions like, am I going mad? Is anybody else seeing this, or is it just me? Who is this person who's walking towards on the water? How are they able to do that? How am I supposed to react to this person walking on the water towards me? Should I be jumping out of the boat and swimming for safety? Should I be sitting here waiting for them to arrive? Should I be bowing down? Should I be shouting? Like, what, what should I do in this situation? It's not a situation I've got much experience of. So I'm not entirely sure what I'm meant to do. You can understand why there would have been some fear there. And I think that that is, that is just helpful to remember when we think and reflect on our own view of miracles. So I just want to take, just take a minute at this point before we kind of move on to what Jesus said. Just to think about how we think about and how we relate to miracles. Because miracles are, by definition, things which are exceptional. And therefore, difficult for us to understand. The, thi- the, the thing that makes something a miracle is that it's different to what would ordinarily happen. If it's what would ordinarily happen, not a miracle. And the other thing that makes something a miracle is that there's no natural explanation for it. So you can't explain through natural belonging how that thing happens. And because of those two facts, so because it's not what ordinarily would happen, and there is no natural explanation for it, that necessarily is likely to lead to some level of fear. We're going to be unsure about how we should react. We're going to be unsure maybe even about what happened. And because we find the unexpected, uncomfortable and scary, then it can lead to fear. Fear as we try to work out how what has happened should affect us. For most of us in our lives, it's much more comfortable to live in a world where everything just happens as we expect it to, without too much unexpected and too much unexplained in our lives. That's a much more comfortable place to live. Because I can predict that. I can manage it. I can plan for that. I can build a life around it. That, that, we, we like that space. That feels like a safe space. <coughs> but when unexpected things happen, that are not explained by natural phenomenon, then that leads to a level of fear, I think. However, having said all that, whilst we might want to believe that, we as a church believe that God can perform perform miracles today. If if that God created the universe with laws and a natural order, then we believe that it's perfectly possible that God can work in a different way to that. So we believe miracles can happen today, we believe that they're the exception, not the rule. That is to say that we believe that most of the time, God does not intervene miraculously, but rather what happens is a result of the natural order God created our universe. But as I said, given that God created those laws, which govern our universe, given that he has in the past performed miraculous acts which have not followed the natural laws, there's no real good reason to think he could not do the same today. Now, My guess is as I say that, in this room, there will be two different types of reaction to that idea, the idea that God could do miracles today. The first reaction will be those of you who respond to the thought of miracles, like we've seen in many of the miracles prior to this. with excitement and enthusiasm and joy. You're excited by the idea that God might do the miraculous. Maybe you see areas of your life where you think, I need God to act miraculously in that. There is no natural solution to that problem. If that's going to get sorted out, I need a miracle. And and so you're excited by the thought that God might intervene miraculously in your life. Maybe you just love the thought of the spectacle. You love the thought of having your mind blown by something you can't understand. Maybe you love the idea that a miracle would help you see and worship God better. It would give you such assurance, it would encourage you in your faith to see God act in that way. Maybe maybe that's how you respond to the idea that God might do miracles today. But I think there's, there's another reaction that's possible, and that is the reaction that we see in this story, the reaction of the disciples here. And that is one of fear. We find the idea that God might act miraculously, frankly, a little bit unsettling. Maybe theoretically we're willing to admit that it's possible, but we prefer not to think about it. The reality is we like our lives, ordered and predictable, and the idea of something supernatural coming and shaking that up doesn't really appeal to us. If God was to do something miraculous in our lives, we would likely be a bit scared and sure quite how to react. And if I'm honest, I slightly oscillate between those two reactions. There's times in my life where I think, oh, I just love God to interview miraculously here. It would, I just feel like i need that encouragement from God, I feel like it'd strengthen my faith. I feel like I I feel like that would be great for me. It would help me to see God, to worship him, to enjoy him more. And there's other times where I think, but if that did happen, <laughs> I'm not quite sure how I'd make sense of it, I'm not sure how I'd like, navigate the world if that was the kind of thing that could happen in my life. I'm not sure how it would impact the way I make decisions or the way I think. And so there's times where I'm kind of like, actually I'd prefer if you didn't, and there's times where I'm like, I'd really like you too, and I'm a bit up and down all over the place when it comes to how I think about me. But The good news is that even in those moments where we feel slightly nervous, slightly afraid about those ideas that God might intervene in that way. I think we can find encouragement and comfort in this story. Because I think that second reaction is entirely understandable. It's in keeping with the natural fear we have about things which are different. But at those times when we're tempted to fear God's miraculous intervention, we, I think we need to hear Jesus' words in this story. It is His eye. Don't be afraid. What is it which can calm our fears in the midst of the power of God? What is it which can make us unafraid in the face of miracles? What? Well, it's knowing that the person behind the miracle is Jesus. Um, I don't know when it was, maybe six months ago, um, Sarah and I were watching through um, the new Superman and Lois series. Um, I've never really been into Superman, but I watched it, quite enjoyed it. Um, uh, But one of the the challenges that they face in that story is that on the one hand, you've got Superman. Having Superman is amazing. Because like if there's a tsunami, he he can rescue people. If there's a plane crash, he can rescue the plane and save all those people. If there's a fire, he can blow on it and put it out. It's great having superman. Like, all the things he can do, all the ways he can intervene. We love it. But, one of the things that they're they're aware of is, it's also a little bit scary to have someone who can do all that stuff. Because what if what they want to do isn't save people, but is to destroy people? What if what they want to do isn't all these good things? What if they decide, actually, we want to take over here. All of a sudden, the fact that that person can do all those things is no longer comforting and amazing. It's actually slightly terrifying. And so part of what they're doing in the show is exploring how how does the, the government think about, well, what do we do if Superman goes rogue? Like, how do we deal with that? Like, what on earth would we do to cope with that situation? A power we could not control is out there and it's not working for good. You see, the the same kind of principle is something we have to think about in the face of miracles. Miracles are are scary and unsettling. But the thing which makes them less so is knowing that it's Jesus who lies behind them, and Jesus will at no point go rogue. At no point is he going to decide, actually, I want to use my power for my own good, for my own ends. You see, as we come face-to-face with Jesus, we're able to trust him, even at those times where the things he does seem hard to understand and unsettling. In fact, it's in seeing Jesus that we're able to face both his miraculous intervention and those times where he doesn't intervene miraculously without fear. Let me help just unpack this for a few minutes. As we see Jesus' life, we see that he is someone who is committed to people's good. Just read through John's Gospel. He spends his time loving and teaching and healing and feeding. When he intervenes, miraculously, we are tempted to fear, but we can have those fears calm by knowing that however little we might understand what's going on, we do understand that if Jesus is doing it, it's for our good. But that also means that when he doesn't intervene or we can trust that even then he is working for our goods. Even when we're fearful about what will happen if he doesn't, we can know that Jesus is working for our goods. As we hear, it's not just that we see his life, but as we hear Jesus teach, we hear that he is someone who came not to be served, but to serve. And so we will ultimately know that Jesus, whatever he's doing, miraculous or not, he is doing it to serve us. He is not someone who's going to use his power for his own good, but rather he's going to use that power to serve those around him. As we see Jesus dying on the cross, we see that Jesus is fundamentally someone who would die for us. We don't need to fear that Jesus is going to abandon us. We don't be afraid that he does things we don't understand, expect, or even necessarily want. Because as he hangs there on that cross for us, the one thing we can no longer doubt is that he is committed to our goods. As we see Jesus come back to life, raised from the grave, conquering death, we don't need to fear anymore that Jesus will not act decisively for our good, because he already has. Jesus has already done the greatest miracle we all need. He's already died to bring the forgiveness we need. He's already been resurrected to defeat the death we all face. And he's already made it possible to know the perfect God who our imperfection kept us apart from. You see, that's why Jesus says, it's I, don't be afraid. Because when you see Jesus, you don't need to be afraid of what he does. How could you be? How could you be afraid of someone who's committed to your good, who serves you? who died for you, who's already defeated death for you. Where he acts miraculously in your life, you can trust him with that because you know he's for you and you know he's for you even when it costs him his life. When he doesn't act miraculously in your life, you can trust him because you know he's for you and you know that he's so for you that he was willing to die for you. Don't be afraid. Is that right? As we navigate the natural things in our lives the ups and downs, the fears and the uncertainties the mundane and the dramatic we need to see Jesus and allow the knowledge that he is with us to calm our fears as we navigate the supernatural things in our lives, if we encounter miracles, if we experience things we can't understand or easily explain, we need to see Jesus and allow the knowledge that he is with us to calm our fears we all want a life without fear And we all want that life. We don't want to live a life where we're constantly fearful. It's so life-limiting. It has a huge impact on the things we do. We all want that life. But here's here's the thing that we need to recognize. The gospel says that there is hope for that. That that's not just a piping. that we can live a life without fear. Again and again, the Bible tells us, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful, because I am with you. Be afraid because I've conquered death. That's not, that isn't just kind of wishful thinking. That's one of the things the gospel came to bring us. The gospel came to bring us salvation. It came to bring us a relationship with God. It came to bring us a new life. But it also came to drive away fear. That's what it repeatedly says. And we may not achieve that life without fear, this side of eternity, but we know that ultimately that is what the gospel is about. That is what it's going to achieve. And we pray that it will work towards that in our life now. And we look forward to that day when we finally enjoy life without fear. Life is scary. And miracles are scary. But ultimately, it is knowing Jesus' presence with us, which enables us to face those fears. That's what he says. It is our Don't be afraid. In this series, we wanted to do two things. We wanted to bring you face to face with Jesus. We we see a Jesus who can do amazing things, supernatural things, and who is for us. A Jesus who calls on us to allow these miracles to bring us to trust Him, to ask Him for forgiveness, and follow Him. And so, the first thing I want to do as as we talk about this miracle is just ask you that very basic question: of, Have you done that? Have you seen the Jesus who can act miraculously on your behalf? Who can offer, who can and does offer you forgiveness? Who does call on you to follow him? Have you seen that Jesus? Have you accepted him? Have you asked him to do that? Have you followed him? Because if you haven't, that's ultimately what Jesus wants these miracles to drive you to. Every miracle Jesus does, Jesus wants you to respond to by believing in him and following him. That's what he wants. So if you haven't done that, here, this afternoon, I want to encourage you. You need to do that because that's what Jesus wants for you. But but the second thing we wanted this to is bring you face to face with miracles and force you to wrestle with. What do you personally actually believe about miracles? Do you believe that Jesus actually did these things? Do you believe they still happen today? How do these beliefs impact your life, the things you pray for, the decisions you make, the things you hope for? And as, as I kind of try and wrap this up, I want to point you to the great hope of this miracle. Because this is what I couldn't help keeping coming back to, and both this week have been we thinking about, but throughout this entire series of miracles. It, it's this. Our world is a world which needs miracles. There is not a natural solution to our world. We need supernatural solutions. There is no natural solution which can deal with the brokenness of our planet. With the earthquakes and the famines and the droughts and the pain. There is no natural solution to those. There is no natural solution which can deal with the brokenness of our relationships with divorce and betrayal and anger and estrangement. There is no natural solution which can deal with the brokenness of our bodies with our pain and illness and depression and then ultimately our death There is no natural solution which can deal with the brokenness of our lives, with our selfishness and our envy, with our dishonesty, with our impatience. There is no natural solution which can deal with the evil in our world, with the exploitation, with the abuse, with the neglect, with the injustice. This world needs a supernatural solution. There is no natural solution that's going to sort out this mess. It needs a miracle. Now, that's not to say there aren't things we can do better. I'm sure there are. There is not to say that there aren't improvements we can make. Again, I'm sure there are. There may be steps that we can and we should take. But healing the brokenness is beyond our ability. We need a solution which sits outside of the problem. We need someone who can walk through all the brokenness, who, as the waters rage around him, is able to not be swayed, to not be knocked off course, not be broken, but rather bring all that brokenness under his healing power. If you're you're someone here today and and you don't believe in miracles, I just want to say, I don't know if it's possible to still have hope that this world could ever be what we long for it to be that this world could ever be a place of peace and healing. A place where human beings love each other rather than using each other. A place of joy and life rather than a place of suffering and death. Because ultimately the hope of the Bible is found not in our ability to sort out the mess of the world, but rather in the person who, when faced with sickness, could offer healing. When faced with storms, could offer calm. When faced with sin... Could offer forgiveness. When faced with exclusion, could offer inclusion. And ultimately, when faced with death, could offer life. That's our hope. That's the hope of Christianity. And it can only be found in knowing a Jesus who has demonstrated he can do miraculous things and who has promised that one day he will complete his great miracle of healing from all of the brokenness of this world. Finally, Making it the perfect world in our